Well, today, who's ready to dive into the book of James? All right. Let's just really open our hearts and ask God to speak to us. Father, right now, we just come before you with wide open hearts. God, we want to hear from you today. We're not just here for fun, although it is very fun. <laughs> God, we're here to hear from you. And Father, we open our hearts, we lay aside the cares of life. And God, I am just asking that you would speak personally to each and every one of us by your spirit today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. All right. Well, today we are really going to be uh, doing an introduction into the book of James, and then we will uh, get into just the very first part of chapter one, and we'll continue with chapter one next week. And from that point forward, we'll be doing one chapter each week through the book of James. But today, as we just kind of do an intro into James, I want us to get a little bit of the background. I want us to find out a little bit more about the author of the book of James. You know, there are several men named James in the New Testament. Two of them were disciples, but neither of those two James were the author of the book of James. The author of this book is the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. Now, Jesus had several half-brothers, and James was one of them. Now, a little bit about James. Although he grew up in the same household with Jesus, which is a little hard for me to get my head around. How about you? Can you imagine growing up in the same house with Jesus? Wow. And although he did grow up in the same house with Jesus, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He was unbelieving during Jesus' whole life and ministry on earth. In John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, look at these verses with me. And it says, And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here, go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself off to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Wow, here are his brothers mocking him, criticizing him, making fun of him, ridiculing him, telling him, go where somebody cares about these miracles you do because we don't even believe that you are who you say you are. You're just trying to make a name for yourself is what they were saying. You're just trying to become famous. Go where somebody else cares about that. Jesus was not trying to make a name for himself. Jesus was not trying to become famous. Jesus wanted to be a savior, not a celebrity. That is the heart of God. But his brothers did not see it. They just criticized him. But do you know that that did not hinder Jesus from continuing his ministry on the earth. He went forward doing the things that the Father called him to do. But then after Jesus rose from the dead, guess who he appeared to? Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7. 
Paul is talking here and he's telling us that Jesus died and then he was buried and then he rose again and after he rose, he appeared to several people and he's telling us who Jesus appeared to and then in verse 7, he says, then he was seen by James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He didn't forget about his brothers. He didn't just dismiss them and write them off for criticizing him all those years. He went and found James and revealed himself to him. I want to tell you, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching or listening to a podcast and you have been questioning God. Maybe you've been doubting. Maybe you've been wondering, God, are you really real? God, I don't know. I don't know. Is, is Christianity real? Are you real? Maybe you've had all kinds of questions. Maybe you've been just running in a different direction, doing your own thing, turning from God, questioning God. I want you to know today that he wants to reveal himself to you. Just as he sought out James, he wants to meet with you and reveal himself to you. James' questions, James' criticism didn't even faze him. And yours don't either. He wants to reveal himself to you. And I promise you that if you open your heart and ask him to reveal himself to you as we go through this study, I promise you he will. He reveals himself to us through his word today. And if we open our hearts, I guarantee you that he will answer those questions. He will meet you where you're at, and he will reveal himself to you just as he did to James. And now, after he reveals himself to James, let's see how that impacted James' life. Because shortly after that, then Jesus ascended to heaven. And then his followers returned to Jerusalem where they went into the upper room. And in Acts 1.14, listen to what it says. It says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Here's James and his brothers with their mother, with the followers of Jesus in the upper room. It wasn't just James. You see, Jesus revealed himself to James. James had an encounter with Jesus that did something to him. It changed his life. It caused him to become a believer, a follower of Jesus. But not just did it impact his life, it impacted all of his brothers as well. And here they all are in the upper room. And then just shortly after that, we see the Holy Spirit come and fill that place and come upon all of them, empowering them to carry out the ministry of Jesus on the earth. Wow. James' life was radically impacted, and it impacted his entire family because of that encounter that he had with Jesus. Throughout the book of Acts, we see James as a pillar and an elder, a leader in the church at Jerusalem. 
Many Bible scholars and commentaries refer to him as the pastor of the churches in Jerusalem. And then he wrote the epistle of James. He didn't just write it for his generation, although he may have thought so at the time. But it has brought wisdom and guidance to generation after generation after generation after generation for thousands of years and is still bringing wisdom to our lives today. How awesome is that? Did you know that it is thought to be most probable that the book of James was the very first book written in the New Testament? The very first book to have been officially penned, recorded in the New Testament. I think that's pretty significant if you stop and think about it. Because here is this unbelieving little half-brother, mocker, criticizer of Jesus, who has an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And he is the one used to break 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think that's pretty remarkable. And moms, think about that with me for a minute. If you are in this place or you are listening and you have a child who is unbelieving, who has gone off the rails, who is questioning God, who is off doing their own thing, don't you give up for a moment. I mean, think about the mother of James. We always think about Mary as the mother of Jesus. But think about her for a moment as the mother of James. I mean, here she is, the virgin girl who was chosen to carry the Son of God. I mean, she had the most supernatural thing transpire in her life that's imaginable, right? This incredible thing happens to her personally. She carries and gives birth to the Son of God. She raises him. And yet her other children don't believe that he's the Son of God. Can you imagine how heartbreaking that had to have been for this mama? I think that had to have been just so difficult for that mama's heart. But then Jesus appeared to just one of those brothers. And in that moment, they all turned and followed Jesus and became part of his ministry on the earth. And that one that he appeared to became a leader in the churches in Jerusalem. And he writes this letter that didn't just impact his generation, but is still impacting our lives today. Wow. Things turned around in that mama's heart, I guarantee you. And if you are here with a child who you have felt like giving up on, thinking it is impossible, thinking they are never going to return to God, let me tell you, do not give up. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too difficult for God. In one moment, he can change everything. Keep praying for those kids. Don't give up on them for a moment. And then I want us to look at not just who James was, 
But what was going on on the inside of him that caused him to write this book, this letter, in this manner that he did? What was he so passionate about? What was going on on the inside that poured through him in this letter? You see, one reason I love James is that he's just so practical. He just says it like it is. Have you noticed that when you read through the book of James? He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says it like it is. And he emphasizes the fact that genuine experience with Jesus should transform us on the inside and therefore transform our external behavior as well, the way we live. Here he is in this letter. He's literally pleading with people for spiritual growth. He's wanting to see them just grow spiritually. He's wanting desperately to see that in people's lives. He's saying, gosh, if the Spirit of God dwells in you and you're continually growing, then shouldn't it be evident on the outside? Shouldn't your actions on the outside be evidence of what God has done on the inside? It should affect everything. It should affect the way we walk through trials and challenges. It should affect the way we deal with people. It should affect the way we speak. It should affect the way we deal with all of the issues of our daily life. It should affect the way we live. Now see, James, having grown up in this very Jewish household, he had always seen the emphasis put on the actions, on the outward way of living, the outward contact on our behavior. But now that he had this encounter with Jesus, he realizes, oh man, whoa, I didn't get it before. I never got it. Wow, it's not about the external stuff. This is not about playing games. This is not about putting on an act and acting a certain way. This is not about wearing a facade and playing a charade. This is about Jesus genuinely transforming us when his spirit comes to dwell in us as believers. And then that changes everything. That changes the way we live. This had become the cry of James' heart, the passion that just stirred within him because he had seen for so long people putting on a charade wearing a facade, just concerned with the actions. So now this has become this burning passion in his heart to help people see that genuine relationship brings inner transformation, which should transform our outward behavior as well. The book of James really can be summed up to say this. If you're going to say you're a Christian, then be one. Don't talk the talk without walking the walk. And so James continues to introduce himself to us, or he begins to introduce himself to us, I should say, in the first verse of James 1. And I think this first verse of this chapter really gives us a little bit more insight into his character. Look at James 1.1 with me if you'd like to. And just to let you know, as we go through this study... 
I'm going to be looking at these verses from the Amplified Bible. I love the Amplified Bible because it really expounds on the verses straight from the original writings. It's not just throwing in paraphrasing. It really draws out more meaning from the original writings. It uses more words, so I call it the Chick Bible, but uh, because we like to say things with more words. And, but I just want you to know that as we're going through this study, I'll be referring to these verses from the Amplified Bible, and they will be on the screens as well. But in James 1.1, it starts out, and James says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's introducing himself, and that's his introduction. Notice the humility of James. Like, he could have, you know, used his, his uh, relationship with Jesus. He could have said, it's I, James, the half-brother of Jesus. He didn't do that. He could have said, Oh, it's I, James, uh, from the tribe of Judah. He didn't say that. He could have said, oh, it's me, James, in the lineage of David. He didn't say any of that. Instead, he says, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And literally, in the original writings, he says, a bond servant. He calls himself a bond servant. A bondservant is one who voluntarily becomes a slave, who willingly disregards his own interests to become completely devoted to another, to fulfill their interests. A willing slave of Jesus. Wow, what an example he gives us. Just in that right there. Because as followers of Jesus, isn't that what we should be? How many of us want to go around throwing around titles or positions or striving to get those titles or positions when really we should all just be servants of Jesus, bondservants of Jesus Christ our Lord? I think that says a lot about the character and humility of James. And then, in that first verse, he continues on and tells us who he's writing to. It says, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad among the Gentiles in the dispersion. Greetings, rejoice. He's telling us who he's writing this letter to. You see, there were Jews from all the 12 tribes of Israel who came to believe in Jesus, and they were scattered abroad throughout all the nations. And they were scattered throughout Gentiles who had come to believe in Jesus as well. And James recognizes at this point, there's no division. There's no separating anymore. If we believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile, we're all on the same page walking with him as long as we believe in him. And so James is encouraging all of them to continue growing in their newfound Christian faith. And here he thought he was just writing a letter to these churches in that day. But God knew differently. God sees the big picture. So often in our lives, we might think we're just doing one thing that affects this one person. We're just doing this one deed, and we have no idea how it affects anything else. But God zooms way out, and he sees this much bigger picture, how everything is 
impacting another thing. And how you're raising your children impacts how they're going to raise their children and then the next generation and the next generation. See, things that we do, they're never just about us. And this letter that he thought he was just writing to those churches right there was not just about them. God had you in mind. God had me in mind as James wrote this divinely inspired letter to these churches. And then, without any further delay, after that first verse when he introduces himself and tells us who he's writing to, he does not waste a moment. He jumps in. He has that pastor's heart wanting to help people, wanting to teach people, wanting them to live life as true, genuine followers of Jesus. So he starts out right away in verse 2 saying consider it wholly joyful my brethren when you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations wow that's what he starts with <laughs> have you read this verse before have you wanted to shut your bible at that point <laughs> has it made you decide to jump to a different book Oh, let's not read James today. Let's read somewhere else today. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Consider it joyful when you fall into various trials. Really? Um, I can just imagine that the people reading this would respond like we would. Or I don't know. You're all pretty quiet, so maybe you just think, oh, yes, I always count every trial as joyful. Maybe you're just far more spiritual than I am. <laughs> but to me, I say, what? Really? Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. Joyful in trials. Wow. Okay. <laughs> How many of you would prefer just to have trials eliminated from your life completely? Like, wow, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> How many of you would like to make a deal with God? See, I know you all try to make deals with God. We all do it. How many of you would like to make a deal with God and say, okay, God, you know, you just hold on to the trials. You don't, you, you just, just I, I don't need any trials in my life. You just keep those far, far from me. And instead, I'm just going to have great faith. And I'm just going to, you know, have all those good things you want me to have. I'm going to have patience and I'm going to have endurance and I'm going to mature in you. I'm going to grow in you. I'm just going to be that Christian that's just lacking nothing, just full of your character. How many of you would like to make that deal with God? He keeps all the trials that we have, <clears throat> all of his nature. Would you like that? <clears throat> well, let's look at verse 3. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking in nothing. Oh, God... <laughs> wants the trial to produce all of those things in our lives. You see, the trials are what prove our faith. 
Verse 3, be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith, the trials are what prove our faith because it's when we're squeezed that people see what comes out. So the trials are the, bring about the proof of our faith. Are we really trusting God? Do we really rely on him? Are we saying we're a Christian or do we really, really believe in him? The intended result of trial is to produce in all of us those wonderful characteristics that we all want. But how do most of us walk through a trial? Well, I won't make you say for yourself because you're all clearly far more spiritual. <laughs> but I have done my share of kicking and screaming through trials. Anybody else ever? Okay, thank you. But there is a way to walk through trials that will produce amazing fruit and maturity in our lives. There's a way to walk through trials that really will enable us to have joy in the process because we know that God is at work, that he's got us, we can trust him, and that he's working in us in the process of that trial. But there is also a way to walk through trials that doesn't produce those good things. And you know what? When we kick and scream all the way through, there is no joy in that. I have learned from experience. There is no joy in that because we end up being angry, blaming God, blaming people, feeling sorry for ourselves, jumping in that pit of self-pity and wanting everyone else to jump in with us. There is no joy in that at all. But when we walk through a trial the way God wants us to, the way James is going to help us see how to, then we can experience joy and growth in our lives. That's what he wants, and that's what we should be doing as those who are true followers of Jesus. God knows that we need a little help with how we walk through trials. <laughs> and he uses James to teach us how to do that a little bit better. And in this first chapter of James, there are at least 12 nuggets of instruction to teach us how to walk through trials well. Anybody think you could use a little instruction on how to walk through trials just a little bit better? Even those of you who won't admit it, I know we could all use this. And so, let's just look first at James chapter 5. And we're just going to start a little bit and then we'll continue with these next week. In verse 5 it says, If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault finding, and it will be given to him. So the first thing he's telling us here is, hey, when you fall into a trial, ask God for wisdom. The number one thing we need in a trial is godly wisdom. Very often in a trial, we think, oh, oh, okay, 
okay, I gotta fix this. Oh, I gotta take care of this. Okay, okay. And we get ourselves in a little tizzy trying to take care of it all in our own might and strength and power when we could come to God first and he has wisdom for us to know exactly how to do that in the best way. So first of all, he says, come and ask God for wisdom. And then he says, not only should you ask, but just be assured. God promises he'll give it to you. I mean, that verse is a promise. If anyone uh, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give it liberally. He promises to give us wisdom if we ask. So why don't we ask? We need to just ask and then hold on to that promise and know that he will give us an abundance of wisdom when we ask. But then, because the Spirit of God knows us so well, he knows how we'll ask. And so James has to give us a little coaching on the how we ask as well. How do you ask for wisdom? Do you ever ask like, okay, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I need help. Uh, just give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. Okay. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What if this happens? What if that happens? Oh, I better call Susie. What do you think I should do? Sometimes that's how we ask God for wisdom. But what does it say in verse 6? Verse 5 tells us to ask, and then verse 6, only it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering, no hesitating, no doubting. For the one who wavers, hesitates, doubts, is like the billowing surge out at sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. For truly, let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. Wow, that's strong language. Verse 8, for being as he is a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, he is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. Wow. How often do we ask God for wisdom, but ask full of doubt? I would say we've all been guilty of it. You know, we, just like I was saying a moment ago, we ask him for wisdom, but then we all know how this can happen. In the matter of three seconds, we can imagine the worst case scenario and be in this downward spiral, imagining all of these horrible things are gonna happen. And then we find ourselves on the floor in a heap, a total basket case. And then as we're sitting there, that basket case, another thought hits of a, we thought that was a worst case scenario, then we think of another one. And then we're in that another downward spiral in just a matter of seconds. Oh, what if that happened? Oh my gosh, what would I do? And then we're on the floor in that basket case heap again. And then we don't know what to do. And then we pick up the phone and call Susie again, and, and then she says something that triggers another possible scenario. Oh no, what are we gonna do? God help, God give me wisdom. And, but then we're over here, we're over there, we're over here. We're imagining all these things because we're not really believing, we're not asking in faith, believing that God's got it. God's got us, he's got the answer that we need. And when we do that, before we know it, we are double-minded, 
We are unstable in all our ways. We are just like it says. We are like that wave that is tossed all around on the ocean. It says, not, let not this man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. At that point, God doesn't even know what we want because we're just so confused, right? <laughs> We've got to recognize what we're doing when we ask. How are we asking? It says that we will become unstable, unreliable, uncertain about everything we think, feel, and decide. Anybody ever been there? Sometimes when we're in that trial and, and we just are imagining all those worst-case scenarios, then it affects everything. It affects how we go forward. It affects the course of each day. Because then we're thinking, well, well I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I should do that. Oh, because what if this scenario happened? Or I don't know if I should take that job. Or I don't know if I should move here. Because, well, what if this scenario happened? Or what if that scenario happened? And we find ourselves hesitant about everything, unreliable, uncertain in everything that we think, feel, and decide. In every one of our decisions, we're double-minded. That's exactly how it happens. And James knows that that's human nature, that that's what we do by the Spirit of God. He knows that, and so he's addressing that. He's saying, okay, ask God for wisdom when you face a trial, and then know that he promises it. He's going to give it to you, and then when you ask, quit being this ridiculous basket case on the floor and just trust God. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you know that he's got the answers? He's saying, then live like it, act like it, believe it, let it be seen, let it be the evidence and the proof of your faith in how you live and walk it out. Do we really believe God has the answers that we need in each situation? I love James. He just says it like it is. He just gives us that little kick in the rear that we need from time to time. Do we really believe? Okay, then trust God. And when we trust God, it allows our faith to expand. It keeps us anchored in him. It keeps us from letting our emotions take us all over the place. And we may not know the answer. We may not see how God's going to work it all out and cause it all to unfold. We don't have to. We can just trust that he's got the answer and that he's going to reveal to us one step at a time. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble too, isn't it, ladies? Because we want, him, we want to ask him for wisdom and then we expect to see X, Y, Z all the way down to the end of the road. We want to see the whole picture. When God will just give us one step at a time. And that's okay. We need to let it be okay and trust God with that and take that next step that he tells us to take. And then the next one. And then the next one. One at a time. He will lead us. He will guide us. He will light our path if we let him. Amen? I think we're just going to hit on that first nugget of instruction from James 1 today on how to walk through trials. And we're going to save the rest for next week, all right? But I want us to pray, and I want you to have some time to chat at your tables. And, you know, maybe you're here today, and, and maybe you're going through a trial. 
Maybe you've been dealing with something and, and you've been asking God for wisdom, but you haven't really been asking in faith. And you haven't been okay with just taking the one step and not knowing the rest of the picture. I want you to know today, you can trust God. And I want you to leave here today with the assurance of that. And I want us to take a moment and pray. And I want you to just close your eyes where you're at and just open your heart to God. And whatever the situations are in your life, wherever you're finding yourself today, just begin to talk to God about those things. And as you do, just let him speak to you. Let him encourage your heart. Let him bring assurance to your heart and your life today. He wants to do that. He wants to pour out wisdom in our lives. Let him know that you're going to stop being that basket case on the floor. <laughs> Let him know that you're going to trust him. Father, right now we just come to you. And God, you know every woman here so intimately. You know the details of every marriage. You know the details of every one of their relationships with their children or siblings or parents or all the different relationships in their lives things going on at home at work in their neighborhood the places that they frequent during the week God the things that are affecting them father God I pray that you would pour out wisdom God right now we just come to you and collectively we ask for wisdom for each individual situation. And God, we thank you that you promised to give that to us. So Father, right now, we just determine to have that assurance and that confidence that you are guiding us with your wisdom, that your wisdom lights our path. And God, we're not gonna worry any longer. We're not gonna fret, we're not gonna fear, we're not gonna be anxious over it. God, right now, I just pray that there would just be a supernatural rest that would come over each one of us, God, that we'd rest in you with such great assurance of knowing that you've got us and you've got this situation. And we thank you for it. We trust you. God, we want you to know that we are followers of you. We believe in you. So we trust you. And God, I just pray that that belief and that trust will produce outward actions that reveal our confidence in you to others, that others will truly see us clinging on you and believing in you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your peace. Thank you for your peace that passes all natural understanding, God. We receive of your peace today. And while your eyes are still closed and your heads are bowed, maybe there's some of you in this room today. And maybe, maybe you're that one that says, you were like James, unbelieving, unsure, questioning, maybe even critical of God or other believers. And today, you want to say, it's my time. I want to start a relationship with God. I want to come into relationship with God. God, I want to experience 
you like I've never experienced you before. I want you to know today, if that's you, the arms of the Father are wide open. He loves you completely unconditionally, and He longs to live life in relationship with you. He longs to reveal Himself to you and bring inward transformation that impacts every area of your life in such a beautiful, significant way, carrying you into the fullness of His purposes for your life. And if you want to start a relationship with God today, we're all going to pray together. Maybe you've just kind of been away from God and you say, I just want to get back on track with God today. That's awesome. I want you to pray this along with us. In fact, we're all going to pray this prayer together. But if that's you, as we pray, just wrap your heart around these words. Pray this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're my Father, that you love me, and that you sent Jesus to die for me. And right now, I surrender to you. I stop trying to live life all on my own. I want you to be my savior. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare you are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I believe that people, women in this place made decisions, giving their hearts to the Lord today. Can we just welcome women into God's family today?